Welcome to Leading to Sales. My name is Brett and I am your host today, like I am every day that we go live here. And I am very excited to bring you today what I think will be a very powerful guest that we have today. And here's the reason why is because Linda Roth has been in the marketplace of digital transformation a lot longer than this current global pandemic that we're in. Because you hear of these digital transformation consultants popping up all over the place right now because of the obvious world environment. And Linda has been able to bring a very unique skill set and expertise to the market for quite some time. And we'll let her get into a lot of those details. But I'm excited to have her come on and talk to us some about the digital transformation, not only is she an amazing consultant when it comes to digital transformation? She literally wrote the book on digital transformation. So we'll be right back right after this with Linda Roth. Welcome to the Leading to Sales podcast. Every week, we're bringing you leadership, sales, and marketing strategies to help you move your business forward. Here's our host, internationally known sales and marketing leader, Brett Williams. Hey, Linda, welcome to the show. Hi, Brett. Nice to be with you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. I, I What's funny is before I said, hey, Linda, I'm going to use this, this uh, some information from, from your biography that you sent me, and I used none of it. I just apparently ad-libbed it. So <laughs> forgive me for that. That's okay. Um, you did a great job. But before we get started, um, I, I do want to highlight again to anybody who's tuning in, Linda has literally wrote the book on digital transformation. Um, the, the subtitle is An Executive Guide to Survive and Thrive in the New Economy. If you are at the end of this, I know that if you are a leader in any industry, you know the value and the necessity of digital transformation in today's world. So if you want to do that, just go to the website, Get digitaltransformation.com that will take you directly to Amazon where you can pick up a copy of Linda's book and make sure that you check that out. So I'm going to have that scrolling along the bottom for those of you who are later on tuning in, in the recorded podcast, we'll make sure it's in the show notes. So with all of the formalities out of the way, Linda, I would love for you just to take a quick minute. Tell us a little bit about, about your background because you came into the digital transformation space in a very unique way. Well, yes, I, um, as the biography that's going on my new website says, I'm a pioneer in information technology. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, I, having read your the the intro to your book as well as a lot of the book, but I think the story that you share of how you kind of landed in IT and and that digital transformation realm, I can't say I've ever heard one like it. Yes. Well, um, I, it was really unique because information technology was new when I graduated from high school. And um, my father had been a high school dropout that started his own business and that supported the family, you know, all of all of the rest of his life and all of our lives, obviously. And um, so he desperately wanted me to go to college, but I desperately wanted to be on my own. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we ended up I went to my high school counselor and my counselor at the time suggested that I take the new information technology curriculum at the junior college. And at that time, that was the only place where you could get a college degree in information technology. Wow. And um, so I, I went ahead and went. And the first day, which was really because everything was all mainframes there. And before that, they had apparently had wire boards. And so the very first class I went into, which was intro to, to they called it data processing at the time, 
the instructor came out and used one of those wire boards and I thought, oh my God, what have I gotten myself <laughs> But it turns out it was a lot easier than that. And um, so I finished my degree and I was fortunate to be hired by Ralston Purina, um, which I lived in St. Louis then. And it was a good company and they had the most advanced IT department other than McDonnell Douglas in the St. Louis area. Wow. And so uh, that was the other thing that gave me gave me great opportunities. And I remember when I was doing the interviews, I had been I was being interviewed all day long. And even as young and green as I was, I figured out that the, the, the that I was being interviewed interviewed with higher and higher managers. And by the time I was sitting in the director's office, I thought, I think I have the job. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just thinking that. And um, he asked me the database that had just come out at the time was. Is, was IBM's IMS system, which was the very first database. Yeah. And uh, he asked me one of the last questions he asked me, he said, well, did they teach you IMS in school? And I thought, uh oh, here it goes. And I said, no, sir, no, sir, they didn't. And he goes, don't worry about it. We'll train you. And um, and so that was another thing that helped me have a lot of job opportunities early in my career is because um, I had I, I had database experience when not very many people did. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what's so apparent throughout your entire book is that you are approaching this as a practitioner. You are not approaching this as a theorist. Um, and I love how you take the, if you will, the beginning of the book really talks through the, the first section talks through um, the various technology revolutions. Um, and being, you know, a, a self-proclaimed tech geek, um, I, I learned a lot even about some of the transformations that I didn't even realize that um, took place. And and you you really approach the work that you do, I can tell just through reading your book. And I mean, Linda's not done work for me <laughs> because we're, we're in the midst of the digital transformation. But just in the context of your book, I can tell that you really approach things from a systematic perspective um, is what it seems like to me. And I love that because that's how my brain works. Um, so tell us just a little bit, you know, high level, obviously, if you want all the details, pick up the book. Um, but tell us from the from a high level, what some of the things that motivated you to take your expertise and put it into a book format? Well, the big thing that motivated me was I had two different clients. One client was a an owner that knew that his company was losing market share and and losing value because he wanted to sell the company and, and his investment bankers were telling him that. And and then he had done what a lot of people do. First of all, he hired a big name consulting firm who didn't get anywhere with it because they didn't understand his business. He, yeah. he was in the marketing space for the automotive industry and they didn't understand what was important. and. And he was losing value because in the in this year it was it was uh, late 2012 that we were talking. In the 2013 uh, automobile models, the first ones were coming out, where all the data that was on your dashboard was now going to be transmitted to the manufacturers and dealers. So one of the things that he was known for with the manufacturers that he worked with was the algorithms and all the data that he collected that helped him more accurately get those marketing um, notifications out. And so with the new vehicle models, his algorithms were gonna be worthless. And so he really had to do something, right? Yeah. 
And, and so anyway, when the big consulting company didn't do anything, then he thought he'd try his internal team. And his internal team just didn't understand it, period. Uh, because an IT, frequently an IT team is not going to understand the fact that the business is in danger. Yeah. Right. And, um, and one thing I understand with my father having been a businessman and I worked in his HVAC business when I was a teenager is I understand business. And, yeah. and I understand the direct relationship to my dad's being a successful business, to me being able to eat. Yes. Right? <laughs> I understand that direct relationship. Yes. <laughs> so I understand business and I've always been a student of business. And, um, and so anyway, one of his board members referred him to me and it took him a while to decide that he would use me instead of his internal team. But when he finally did, he put me in charge of everything. And, and so uh, that was, that was one. And that was successful. Six months after I finished his transformation, we created new products and services to bring value. And he sold his company as a technology company, which was important, not as a marketing company, as a technology company for the automotive yeah. industry. And so he sold his company to a PE firm that was doing a roll up and did very well on that sale. Well, then the next client I went to was more of a traditional company and they wanted me to just upgrade their 30 year old ERP system, which in, it, you know, when you get down to the end of the book, the last section is my five step process. And one of those steps is that you do have to upgrade all of your core technology. Right. <laughs> so, so they were doing kind of the first step, but um, at the time that I was there, when I would talk to them about digital transformation, they just thought I was crazy. And, and, you know, they felt that their business wasn't going to change. Now the newer CEO has come around a little bit. Yeah. But there's, there's still, um, you know, the last I spent time with them was in 2019 and, and they were still not so sure that they wanted to move forward with, with too much, you know, they were looking <laughs> at, at maybe they would do some warehouse optimization and um, they had put up an e-commerce site where, uh, where the businesses, they're primarily B2B, yeah. but where the businesses could put in a, a request for a quote, not an order, but a request for a quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so as you're, cause you've, you've had a lot of success with, with a lot of the companies that you're using and using your system and using your process, your five-step process. Right. And you've seen the impacts that that's had through the years. Um, and I'm sure that the current global situation has obviously flipped your business to a much higher priority for a lot of companies. Um, and it's, it's given people no choice, given businesses no choice, but to not only adapt, but to embrace the, the forthcoming technology. Cause if you don't, then there are very few industries where you can refuse to embrace it at this point and survive. Um, so what are you seeing are some of the major challenges that businesses are having right now that have been around for a while, but are trying to undertake this digital transformation? Well, I think uh, a couple of things. First of all, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, 2020 sort of forced everybody to do something, right? Yeah. So where most companies were, might've been resisting having e-commerce and resisted having employees work from home and things like that. Okay. So when 2020 come came along, they had, they had to do that. They had to somehow 
make it so that their customers could interact with them without coming in to their locations or without having salespeople change their sales process completely. Right. Couldn't have their salespeople going out and making calls. Right. Right. So that changed, but um, they didn't really transform because what I talk about transformation is you have to think about yourself as a 21st century business. Yes. And it's not just putting up an e-commerce site. Yes, you know, you do have to have e-commerce, but um, like the the second client I was talking about that they're mostly B2B, especially a lot of companies that are B2B think that, well, we're B2B, so so we're different. Businesses don't want to deal with us. And, and I disagree completely. Yes. Because businesses, a lot of business people today don't have time for you to be coming out, for your sales reps to come out and be calling on you like you did traditionally. Yes. And as I tried to explain to my all of those managers and and purchasing agents and everybody else that, that want to order from you, they are sitting at home on Amazon. Yes. Right? It's so true. It's Our so true. e-commerce site, and they want to do the same thing in their business world. Yeah. And, and I actually even saw that firsthand um, when I was working with a, a rapidly growing pharmaceutical company in Southern California. And um, they they had a lot of things that needed to be needed to be done. And B2B was one of them. They they really needed to have a way that um, their customers could contact them and and you know, place an order without people calling. They were growing so fast it, it had to be done. So so they were doing that and they did it primarily with EDI at the time. But but then also I worked with a grower and um, one of the problems that the grower had was the people that ran the, the farms, they called them ranch managers, but these people were in charge of millions of dollars of crops, Yeah. right? And the office kept wanting them to come into the office a couple of days a week to do paperwork. And they're like, hey, we have to be out in these fields. You know, weather's changing all the time yeah. we have to monitor the soil. Right. These these guys are out in the field all the time. And so I was called in to help them with a pro try to figure out a process that everybody would be comfortable with. So after I spent a few days with a couple of different ranch managers, it became obvious to me that the only way we could do this was they had to be able to place orders and everything that they want to do and the paperwork flow to the ERP system using technology out in the field. Yeah. Now, this is right before I was doing this project before the iPad came out, but the iPhone was out and all of these ranch managers had ruggedized laptops in their trucks and they had cell phones. And in most places, the ranches had access to cellular connectivity. Yeah. So, um, I said, what we're going to have to do is going to have to put up a website or web page so that they can come on and do everything from their truck or from their phone. And then just as I was finishing the, the project and writing up my solutions, the iPad came out and I just said, I think this is the device that will answer all the problems. Yeah. And and, I, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so you have to completely reimagine everything you're doing. Yeah. And I, so one of the things I want to I want to highlight, and this is from your book, it's actually early on, I think it's in the introduction, um, if I'm not mistaken, but you highlight the differences between a digital disruption 
and a digital transformation. And I think that's something I, I love the way you put this. And, and so I want you to, to talk through that a little bit and talk about how some of what I would call, you know, some of these more legacy businesses, these businesses that may have been around for decades, if not centuries, um, and what how they need to view those two pieces in moving forward. Well, a digital disruption is things that are happening primarily because of digital technologies that are causing societal change. And, and that's one of the reasons why I compared um, what had happened in the two industrial revolutions. But the most important one is, is what we all consider the industrial revolution, right? The one of the right. late 1900s and the early eight, I mean, the early 20th century. And the things, the technology that drove that was we had harnessed electricity. And so now we had electricity. We had the telephone for direct, direct, direct person to person communication. And we had the internal combustion engine, right? Which changed life dramatically. Yeah. And for, for everybody and, and for every business. And so suddenly you had a lot of businesses that existed in the, in the 1800s. The telegraph was gone. The, the railroad, one of the big things that the railroad didn't see, I mean, in the in the in the uh, 1900s, I, I mean, the 1800s, I'm sorry, in the 1800s, <laughs> 19th century, um, the railroads were the robber barons, right? I mean, yeah. they ran everything, the railroads. And yeah. what and the big problem the railroads had is they didn't see themselves themselves as transportation companies, they saw themselves as railroads. So when the internal combustion came out that gave us the automobile, the truck, the airplane, and where, where are railroads today? Yes, I mean, exactly. railroads do carry freight and stuff, but they're not like the airlines and the trucking. You know, when, when the pandemic hit, you didn't hear anybody talking about the railroads had to stay in business. You heard <laughs> the truckers. Right? Yes. What are the truckers doing for us? Not what yes. are the railroads doing for us? And and certainly the railroads had their part in that supply chain, but the truckers is what everybody saw. And so you have the same thing. That's a disruption. When the internal combustion engine came out and the railroads were disrupted and they didn't see what was happening to them. The yeah. same thing is happening now. Digital technologies are coming out and and society is changing. And a lot of companies are not recognizing it. Yeah. And I love this because this, this mindset that you have, and this is, this is one of the things I just absolutely adored about your book, this mindset that you have of looking to the past and seeing what we can learn and glean from the disruptions and transformations that took place and then apply them to today and today's company so that we can make sure that we're positioning ourselves to go into the new frontier, whatever that may be it's you're really instilling a mindset more than it is. Uh, okay. Hey, the internet's here. So now you've got to do this or okay. Now Facebook is doing this. So you need to do this. You get really, um, you get really high level on it so that from an executive standpoint, we can look at it as leaders and say, okay, am I making sure that I have this mindset coursing through the blood of my business? Um, and I love that. And then you, you even take the time in the book to go through some of the current technologies, mm -hmm. um, and things that you see on the horizon. And, and I love it because you're going into things that people don't even think about are going to impact them. Um, and I think there's such a huge lack there because if we look at the opportunities that people have, and I, and I had a gentleman on the show a few weeks ago, I believe now, um, Paul, 
uh, why is his name leaving me? I apologize. Paul Davis. And he was talking about peripheral thinking. And I think that's one of the things that you're doing is taking that step back and saying, okay, these are the technologies that we already know are coming at us. How do we integrate those into our business or how do, how could they potentially affect our business and how can we prepare ourselves to move forward? Right. Because another um, disruption sort of is a lot of companies that exist today are going to be winnowed out of the supply chain. Yes. Right. Just like the client I was talking about where he had built a whole business for 25 years on sending out marketing literature to people that own vehicles. And, and that was no longer going to be needed. That didn't have any value anymore. So we didn't build, we didn't rebuild his company sending those things out because he wasn't going to make any money on that anymore. We built new business intelligence apps for the manufacturers and the dealerships. And that's why he became a technology company, not because he sent out marketing literature. I love that. And that's, so, so tell me a little bit um, about your thought process when you go into a business where you can see, because I think more than anything, what I learned from your book is you have the ability to start to look around corners in a very unique fashion that I think, frankly, a lot of executives sometimes get so caught up into the minutia of running the business that they can't see the forest for the trees, if you will. Right. Um, and you have what I would say is a very unique ability to start to see around some of those corners um, of, okay, hey, these are the technologies that are coming at us and, and this is what we're going to have to deal with. So what is your mindset when you go into a business or let's say, you know, we've got an executive who may be tuning in right now or, or catching it on the podcast later when they're looking at things, what are some things that they can begin to think about to see, okay, what are some areas that maybe I need to start to address in my business? Well, I think some of the first things is looking backwards and forwards in the supply chain and start thinking about what happens, you know, uh, with with what I'm doing in in the supply chain area. Or if I'm a company that repairs certain things or, you know, something like that, yeah. is, is the product that I repair going to still be in business? So, for example, if, if we go back again to the Industrial Revolution, when the internal combustion engine came out and there's a, there's a show on that I like to watch now. It's called when calls the heart. Huh. And it's a show that they never say exactly what year it is, but um, uh, it comes on on Sunday nights and I, and I was watching it last night again. It, it contrasted to me again, where, where they were in history, because you'd see, you know, as the years have gone on, the show's been on more and more cars come into town, right. As, as different, members of, of the community get wealthier. Yeah. You have a few more cars, but you still have the stagecoach that comes in. And a lot of people still ride horseback because yeah. they can't afford cars. And so, you know, we're still a little bit in that, although the, the um, pandemic has lurched us all forward. Same way as I think World War I did. A lot of people ask me about the 20th century. And I say, well, I think what really lurched us forward in the 20th century was World War I. Because if you look at it, in 1903, Or Orville and Wilbur Wright took a 10-second ride in an airplane. And, and by 1915, in World War I, we had airplanes up with guns on them and we were fighting a war in the air. Yeah. That is fast, folks. That's incredibly fast. 12 years. Good God. Right. Right. And um, my grandmother, I also point this out in the book that my grandmother was like a millennial is today. She was born in the late 
1800s, came of age in the early 20th century. And we found after she passed away, we found some clippings from um, newspaper articles where it, would, where it would be a human interest story that they motored over to Illinois from St. Louis to go visit somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she had a, um, a, a photo album that, you know, had all the things that a young, that a late teenager, or early 20 year old would do. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that they did, and, and I thought this was, was quite um, a bit of a jaunt, but a group of her friends, they went to Kansas City from St. Louis in a motor car. And, and this had to have been, um, I mean, she got married in 1922. And of course, World War One was going on. So this had to have been in the late 1910s. That she yeah. was doing this, and I'm thinking the roads between St. Louis and Kansas City. I mean, today, I get in my vet, and I'm I'm from St. Louis to Kansas City in less than four hours. Right. <laughs> it didn't take them four hours in 19 whatever it was to right. get from St. Louis to Kansas City. <laughs> that, and you know what's interesting is is that that casts such a good parallel. And I've got a I've got a story that my great grandfather actually left me in a in a typed book that he made that I'll share with you maybe after the show or maybe even here in a few minutes, but. Um, the, the view of that today, cause like you're saying from St. Louis to Kansas city, four hours today, beautiful highways, generally speaking, you know, right. things like that. But if you look at what that really meant, what, what your grandmother was, and it sounds like she may have set the precedent for you. And I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily in a position where I knew your grandmother or frankly, even know you well enough to probably say that, but I'm going to, whereas what she was willing to be a pioneer in technology, um, oh, because yeah that kind of takes a little bit of internal fortitude to say, Hey, this is something new. This is something I want to participate in. And this is something I want to figure out. Um, and taking the chance to, to drive from Kansas or from uh, St. Louis, Kansas city in a motor car and probably what were, uh, abysmal, what we would almost call footpaths today. Correct. <laughs> I can only imagine. Exactly. So, so that answers the question on what is disruption. Disruption is things are going on in, in 2020 you know, kind of lurch that disruption forward. Okay. Transformation though, uh, if if we look at what a lot of companies did in 2020, they maybe got up some kind of e-commerce, they got up a way for to be able to text customers when their order was ready and they could come pick it up. They got all of their employees on Zoom and sent them home with laptops so they could communicate or they might've used Microsoft Teams or whatever. Um, but the mindset that everybody had, including even me a little bit, during a lot of, of 2020 was um, this isn't going to last very long. Right. But in reality, as it lasted longer, it is now permanent. Yes. Right. And so we're not going back to March of 2020. No. Nope. And, and it's marching forward faster. But back to transformation. Transformation is about the technology. It's not about sending people home with laptops or putting up an e-commerce site. It's about where does my business now fit in the supply chain and what other products and services can I offer that digital technologies enable me to do like, like what I did for my client, what we decided to do. Um, and, and, and then also you can make, figure out exactly who is going to be behind you in the supply chain and who's going to be ahead of you. And you can make them stickier. I talked to a company, this was in, late to mid 2019, I think, is when I talked to them. And they were a smaller company, they had some other problems, and I had been referred to them 
but I was trying to get this owner to see beyond his immediate problems. Yeah. And and one of the problems that he was complaining to me about, he made um, the plastic containers for frozen food, and he would get rush orders. He said, he said, I get all these rush orders, right? And I said, well, the reason you get rush orders is because your inventory to the people that are using it, that are making the the food, you know, the frozen food product. I said, you're a C-level inventory. They don't look at your stuff until they're ready to make a run. And and then they they go and count it and find out, you know, they're going to make a 50,000 unit run and they only got 25,000 plastic containers. So yeah, they're going to give you a rush order. I said, what you need to do is get connected to their ERP system. So yeah. when they put a run in, plan a run in their planning module of their ERP system, you get notified and you can now put in your stuff. You're monitoring their inventory and, yeah. and what they're doing. And he thought I was crazy. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's definitely, I think it has to start with a mindset. And it sounds like that's really where you help people, where you really help people kind of start to bridge that gap of the mindset of how they're looking at their business and upstream, downstream, and really just 360 degrees. Well, yeah, and like it, it um, when you were talking about what I had said in in the beginning and compared to history, but then in the second section, I take what I call the innovators and the disruptors of the digital age, and I and I looked at what did they do differently. You have to look at what they did differently and how they yeah. thought differently, yes. right? And so um, I compared in in the beginning of the book, I compared Sears to Amazon. Richard Sears started Sears and Roebuck in the late 18, in 1893, I think is when he started it. And most people of the 20th century are surprised to learn, including me, that he did not have a store until 1927. He yeah. sold with a catalog via the new postal service, <laughs> right? A hundred years later, Jeff Bezos said, I'm going to sell something, anything on the new internet. Yep. Right? <laughs> That's <laughs> incredible. He put Sears out of business. Yeah. Right? A titan yep. of the 20th century. He put them out of business practically with what he did on and how he changed retail. And Sears had done the same thing 100 years, so 100 years earlier. So the question I asked when I was comparing the two is, how did Bezos think that, what did he do differently? And why did Sears not see this with all the intelligent people running Sears? Why did they not see that this was happening? And then a little while ago, a few weeks ago, I just posted an article on LinkedIn. There was an article in the St. Louis Business Journal about Emerson Electric, an energy company, and how their biggest secret was that they are now a technology company or becoming a technology company. And Emerson, and they said they had done it quietly, Emerson Electric, First of all, they started making devices um, that monitored all the the factories and everything that, that you know that ran energy, and okay. and then recently they made those smart devices. So now that it could transmit instead of having to go out and have your employees go out and look at the monitor and write it down on a clipboard and then somebody has to put it in a spreadsheet, right? These devices became smart devices and they could transmit all that information. So okay. then they started writing software that would give you the what the spreadsheet used to give you. And, and then they started writing some of their own products. And, and Emerson Electric today, while they only make 3 billion in 
of their 11 billion revenue, only 3 billion is from technology. That's still one heck of a large technology company, 3 billion. Absolutely. And they, they employ a thousand developers. Wow. So, so transformation is, you know, what are you going to be? And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go from being an electric company. I mean, Emerson still sells a lot of electric stuff, right? They're still an energy company predominantly, but how are you going to start to look at how the world is changing? And, and going back to the industrial revolution, if the railroads had been smart, they would have thought about becoming trucking companies or integrating trucking companies with the railroad. Exactly. And Ron Goodwin here, this is, I love this quote from Wayne Gretzky, where the puck is going, not where it's at, well, not where it is. Exactly. Um, It's so true. Um, Ron's a good friend coming in with the, with the hockey references for me, for me, the Southerner who has never even seen a hockey game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, you talk about the, and I want to highlight this really quickly. We're we're coming toward the top of the show or towards the end of the show here, but I want to highlight this because I think this is going to be critical for everyone as we're moving forward. What from your perspective being having the expertise that you have in digital transformation, what from your perspective was the difference in the mindset of a Sears versus the the mindset of an Emerson who is transforming? What do you think? Because I mean, the, both of those companies, I won't say they had the exact same resources because I'm not looking at their financials, but for all, in, all for all intents and purposes, they had the, they both had the necessary resources to put the mechanisms and the people in place to deal with technological transformation. One chose not to, and, and as we know, has now gone bankrupt and, and I think there are some still hanging out. I'm really not sure. Not and, and one is choosing to embrace this new industrial revolution or technological res- revolution we're saying. So what, from your perspective, was the, was the difference in mindset? I, I think it's having an open mind and, and continuing to look at what's going on in the universe around them. Yeah. Um, now Emerson might have had a little bit more of a push because there's so much anti-energy um, out there, traditional energy, right? So yeah. one could argue that they might have have felt they had to look around, but th- there aren't very many energy companies that are looking at technology becoming yeah. technology companies. They're looking at new ways to do the same thing they always do, yeah. and and so. I think it's remaining pretty much what you were from the beginning, some sort of innovator. And and again, I'll point back to the innovators and disruptors in the book. Yes. Um, when I looked at them and said, okay, what did they think differently? None of them were solving any problem that we hadn't been trying to solve all along. One of them, the best is um, with Apple, I used the iPod. and And what had we gone through since the transistor radio had been invented, right? I mean, when the transistor radio was invented, that's when our content, music or whatever, went went um, portable. Yeah. And we had the transistor radio and you put that in cars and you could carry it around, you know, and, and then we had cassette players and then we had CD players. And I remember in the 90s, well, 80s and 90s, I was working in New York and it would drive me crazy getting on a subway and these people carrying these big boom boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and I used to say, at that time I was living in Los Angeles, I used to say, I'm never going to argue about being on a Los Angeles freeway again because I'm in my own car, smelling my <laughs> own body, like, listening to my own music. <laughs> so, so along comes 
comes um, Steve Jobs with, with the iPod. And so now instead of carrying all these cassettes or CDs or whatever around and having these devices and everything we own, right, we carry one little piece of yep. technology where we've downloaded all of the content we want, whether it's a podcast or a music CD or uh, an educational CD or whatever, we've downloaded it all. It's a little device and we just stick earbuds in our, in our ear and there we are and we can take it anywhere. Yeah. Right. And um, so all he did was just look at around at what he had and say, look at what I can do. And, and yeah. if you, if you look at all of the companies that have disrupted, Airbnb disrupting the hotel industry, Uber disrupting the disrupting the transportation industry. And speaking of that, there's a new disruption coming on the on the horizon that may disrupt Uber because they're talking.